Hey guys, how we doing? This week, my guest is Devin Williams. Devin's a very close friend of mine. He's currently training for the Golden Gloves Amateur Boxing Tournament here in Indianapolis. We talk how training is going, what he's looking forward to, the highs and lows, the difficult times, the good times. We talk about his upbringing in basketball, playing alongside such players as Mike Conley Jr., Eric Gordon, OJ Mayo, Greg Oden, Derek Rose, as well as discussing how to apply your passions to your life. So here we go. Let's give a huge shout out and warm welcome to Devin Williams. going on you just got back from yeah i got you you just got back from training i did indeed it was a good day a nice little sparring day all the guys my size were out so i had to spar with the heavyweights today so that was fun 235 to 250 what's your weight at (laughs) uh i'm fighting at 176 i made about 182 today Okay, so you you're not got, supposed to tell people what you're at, but yeah, it's cool. I mean, honestly, by the time this post, I'm posting this before. You're you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, are you still on for? So Golden Glove starts the 16th, right? Correct. Yeah. <clears throat> are you still? Do you know if you're on that day, or you still got to find out day of? No. Uh, they released the um the the bouts for the 16th only one guy from our gym is competing um so I'm, i won't be on the 16th um it goes it's it seems like it's mostly youth fights and then um some of the lower weight classes it stopped the last bout of the night is a 167 is 167 weight class so I'm assuming uh, the 23rd, I'll definitely be fighting because that's right underneath me. So the 23rd looks like it's my go. Okay. So, I mean, you got an extra week. Do you still have to make weight on the 16th? That I'm not sure about, but I've been trying to just mentally lock in and just get my mind ready to fight. So I'm going to make weight regardless. I don't know at this point if that's a good thing or not to like make weight ahead of time, but. I think I just – it's a six-week tournament, so I think it's just better to just get get to 176 and just I, – I can maintain that for a couple weeks. Yeah. It's not an uncomfortable weight for me to be. It's yeah. a little lean. It's a little lean, but it's not It's not an unhealthy weight. I even toyed with the idea of dropping down to 165, but that's – that. We're gonna, we're gonna. Let's. I not. feel like that's extreme. When was the last time you weighed one sixty five in high school when you were playing yeah, basketball? Probably, exactly, exactly. So, Jeez, yeah. But I mean, at the pro level, if you're talking about professional boxing, one sixty eight would be a great weight class for me. You look at 
Benavidez and Plant getting ready to fight here in like a week or two, like that's a nice weight class for me. And Canelo jumps up and down weight classes all the time. So true. That's true. If I was able to if if I was gonna go pro, I and I'm saying like if I'm looking at the guys at that level right now, I'm not saying that you could beat the top, top guys, but I would definitely love to be in the mix. I mean, Benavidez is my same exact height. We're both 6'2". Um, obviously, he has loads of experience on me, but strength, size, um, athleticism, like I definitely would be one of the more bigger, stronger, and much more athletic guys at that 168 uh, weight class. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm at uh not 168, so I'm probably not competing next week, but it's okay. <laughs> um, we'll get them next year. Uh, that's, hey, that's my plan. My plan is next year. So I know it's a ways out, but I mean, at least you got. I'll have some time to do all that. Um, that gives you time to train, get ready for it, get your get your work in. You don't want to really, rush the process either, dude. It's really about like discipline, though. You know what I mean. I mean, it's yeah, more so like you could be, I mean, you can get excited, <clears throat> motivated to do something, but it's just like staying with it consistently is consistency and patience is really like overlooked a lot when people try to work out um, oh, or yeah. try or try something new. Honestly, it's like you'll have this cool high to do something and then you're like, all right, that was cool. And then you just go back down. So that 100 percent, man, you know, that's out of this whole process. That's been the hardest part. It's not the sparring. It's not the it's not the workouts. It's the it's the mental grind of doing the same thing over and over. And you have days, not even days, you have weeks where you see no improvement. I have weeks where I go to the gym, and especially in my gym where there's there's elite guys. I got kill I got guys in the UFC, I got guys in Bellator, I'm sparring with Corey Anderson, I'm sparring with Cam Van Zant, I got Isler who's got over two hundred and fifty amateur fights like and i'm getting in here with guys who are killers and i'm getting crushed like there's yeah. days i would call you and like mentally like you, you, we've had those phone calls where i call you some days and like on my way home from the gym and i'm just like mentally out of it i'm drained and i don't know if this is for me but to have that mentality to just stick it out like you know what no matter how bad this gets i made a a goal. I told myself I'm doing this, so I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to keep going. And when you start, when you keep going, that's when you start breaking down those barriers and you start slowly seeing that progress. So when the, you know, you hear all those motivational speakers that say that stuff like, oh, you got to enjoy the journey and enjoy the process. Like really, as corny and cliche as it sounds, like it really is the truth. You try to just enjoy going to the gym and training and find that fun in that every day because it's the straight grind of if your goal is to be a professional fighter like that goal is going to be a grind you're going to have so many days where you're not there and you're getting beat up and you don't feel like you're ever going to be a professional fighter but you can have lots of days where you just go to the gym and have a great training session or go to the gym and just work as hard as you possibly can even on a day you don't necessarily do great at least you went up you showed up and you tried as hard as you could but then slowly you start to see yourself getting better than the guys who are in that the pack with you, guys who started out training with you. 
when you come consistently and you come every day and train, you slowly start pulling away from those guys and start jumping up into those upper ranks with the guys that are the elite. When like do you I think said, that you'll actually like, you know, cause you just said the saying of like, enjoy the, the journey or whatever. Like when do you think enjoyment actually hits you? Is it like after you see results or cause I'm wondering too, like after you see results or after you, let's say you train for something or you're practicing and then you're like, um, you gotta enjoy the journey. And then like, oh, we won the game, or like, I won the fight. It's like now I can actually look back and enjoy it. Because honestly, I think you need to embrace the fact that like it's gonna be hell of a workout. You know, I and I can't speak for every other person. Just so me personally, I enjoy getting through the tough part, like almost on on a David Goggins type level, like doing something that sucks like getting in the car dread working all day and dreading six o'clock because i know i'm about to go to the gym and spar a three-time national golden glove champion who's probably going to beat me since like i know i'm going to get beat but i'm going to go out there and give them everything i got i'm going to try my best but you're dreading that moment because you know it's going to be a war you know you're about to go down today, and I get in my car, I turn on my music, I drive there, I pump myself up, I get in the car, and I do it, and I did a little bit better than I did last time, or maybe I did a little bit worse, but no matter what happened, I did it. Like, I didn't run. I didn't run from the challenge. I went out there, and I fought him, and that I enjoy, being able to do that and not be scared. I watch guys get scared to spar. We spar today, and I watch guys fake injuries. And be like, oh, my back. Hey, coach, oh, I forgot my headgear. Like, he told you last week we were sparring. He told you all week we were sparring today. <laughs> and you forgot your stuff. Like, I watch guys make up excuses. So, knowing I'm not one of those guys. Like, win, lose, or draw, I did it. I, I took, I accepted the challenge, and I took it head on. To me, that's the win. The byproduct of doing that day in and day out is the wins in the ring. That's the victory, is the fact that you're the person that's willing to accept the challenge and take it on and try your best and get better. That's, that's how you grow. And then because I'm growing and getting better, that's going to result in a win in the ring. That's going to result in a pro career. That's going to result in making some money doing this down the line. So that's kind of how, like, you just got to So the wins, it's the wins are the little wins like that. Yeah. Or even having a good day in sparring to me, like having a good day, against a high-level pro, and, like, we go six rounds, and I know three of those rounds, I definitely got him three of those rounds. He got me three, but I, we broke about even today. Like, man, it used to be he'd get all six. Now today we split three and three. Like, I'm making progress. Yeah. Those are the little wins that the I'm like, oh, wins, yeah. yeah. Or just the little tiny wins. A little goes a long way, basically. Um, so the people who – and I'm not trying to turn this into an interview, but – the people who know you know you have a basketball background. Well, people don't know about you, and Kelsey said this the other day. You're <coughs> a phenomenal storyteller. <laughs> I don't know if I'm that good. But no, I you are. You are. So the stories of either your basketball background or or just you growing up, there's a couple stories that stood out, which if you want to tell them, you can. I'm just going to wait for you to naturally bring them up. 
what were what was it okay so you played give give me your background because i asked you a couple times on your background of basketball as far as like you went to pike yeah for sure and then you Um, played who'd you play with so so background of basketball it's so been moving here been in indiana the hoosier state don't really know what the hoosier is but i know wait where'd you move from again so we were in Born in Arkansas, moved yep. to Memphis, moved from Memphis to Indiana as a young kid. So I'm young. That's why Indiana's always home. So we moved here to the Hoosier State. Once again, still to this day, don't really know what a Hoosier is, but we just know they love basketball. Yeah, I don't so, either. I have no idea. I never learned. I've only been here for like seven years. So I still don't know. So as a little, little kid, like I wanted to be, a, that's why martial arts, I fell in love with that. I wanted to be a Ninja Turtle. Then I wanted to be a Power Ranger. So I, I got in every sport possible. Hold up. Who's your favorite who's your like, favorite Ninja Turtle? Raphael, of course. God, really? How's Michael how's Michelangelo? Michelangelo, I could see that for you. Michelangelo <laughs> had the most he was the outgoing personality. He was yeah. the funny one. He was eating pizza. He got the nunchucks. He had the nunchucks, I mean, yeah. Yeah. But Raphael, you know, he's just the, he, he was, was a bad the, boy. I get it. Yeah, he was the bad boy. He was a tough guy out the group. If hey, know? if any of them had tattoos, he would have them. For sure, hundred <laughs> percent. I think they tried to give him one on the like the the remake that they the new remake they did. Yeah, I never watched it. Yeah, it wasn't great. Um, then the Power Rangers came out, but I played all these sports: soccer, basketball, karate, taekwondo, jujitsu, wrestling, uh, tennis. Even tried my hand at golf once. Uh, basketball, football, but basketball just stuck. I mean, like immediately. For some reason, as soon as I came out there and played basketball, it just clicked. I was naturally just good. I fell in love with it. I enjoyed it. Majority of my friends that I have from my growing up all were from basketball. So at, naturally, I wanted to go to the school wherever the best basketball players play. At Pike High School, Chris Thomas had just graduated and went to Notre Dame at the time. He was the first McDonald's All-American that I actually, like, met, like – He's a McDonald's All-American. I'm watching him on TV, and he goes to the high school that's down the street from my house. So I'm like, yeah, I want to go to Pike. I want to go there. They just won the state championship the year before I got there. Or they got second. They got second state the year before I came in. So I'm like, I want to go there because that's the best basketball team. Robert Vaden, who went to IU, was like a junior. He was one of the top players in the state. Courtney Lee was one of the best players in the state. He – uh. Ended up going to the NBA. Jeff Teague was a year below me uh, when I went to Pike. People don't realize my freshman year on varsity, I was a freshman. I'm on varsity at Pike. We went 29-0, and 0, number, two t- number one team in the state, number two team in the country. The only team that was better than us was St. Vincent, St. Mary, LeBron James team. And they were too scared to play us. We tried to offer this man money to come to Indy and play us. What about, they wanted something um, crazy. What about Oak Hill? Oak Hill was not uh Oak Hill wasn't better than Oak so Mello was the year before. Oh, he was year, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. I got you. That's he right. Because he went to because he went to Syracuse. So he wouldn't have been a different year than LeBron. Yep. Anyways. Oak Hill yep, was okay. good. Oak Hill was good. They just weren't better than us. But we had a squad. We had nine division one players on that team. It was a it was a squad. It was definitely a squad. Wait, who do you have? Yeah. On that Pike team? Jeez. Devin Thomas, a lot of guys you probably will know. Devin Thomas, Darren Yates, 
David Barlow, Justin Cage went to Xavier. Um, yeah, me, you had Reese Cheatham, you had Curtis White. Um, going on the way, Courtney Lee, Robert Vaden, those guys. Um, Mike Russell, Keith Abney, Braxton Mills. I mean, I could keep going and going and going. We had just a, we had a star, a star-studded cast in that year in that group for about two years, and then AAU. So then you go from playing high school ball with them to in the summertime, Feast <clears throat> in the Heat, the AAU team. You got Greg Oden, Mike Conley, Eric Gordon, Josh McRoberts, Daquan Cook, OJ Mayo, Bill Walker, Darren Granger. We had a the, the AAU team was a star study cast too. So that was the those were the great times of basketball too. Being able to travel. Cause we we didn't we didn't understand how big it was for us back then as kids. We just were we were just a bunch of kids from Indianapolis trying to win and just prove to everybody that we could we were good at basketball. We didn't understand that winning national championships year after year, the sponsorship dollars getting sponsored by like Reebok and Nike and all these different teams, uh, not different teams but different like these these endorsements with these these companies. We we had no clue how big that stuff was. We were just playing ball. But then uh Nike camp, ABCD camp, those were great ones. Real quick, hold up. I just pulled up before you get back to that. I pulled up the top <coughs> top ten AAU basketball teams ever. Yep. Currently, I don't know when this was published, but the two thousand four Spice Indie Heat is number six. They got us number six? Yeah, so that's crazy. Well, let's just think. Number one. Over us? Okay, number one, the New Jersey Patterson AAU. That was Kobe, Vince. Okay. <laughs> Rip okay. Hamilton. Like, I think uh, we can go there. <laughs> um, Riverside Church, New York City. Okay, New York City. Yeah, so you had Artest, Odom, Elton Brand. Nah, I don't care about number three. Number four, Oakland Soldiers with LeBron James, Kendrick Perkins, Leon Pope. Eh. There's a few, but I mean. See? Yeah, but look, so you have, okay, so you had Josh McRoberts, you had Greg Oden, you had Mike Conley, Daquan Cook. I mean, that's a pretty, that's a pretty legit lineup. So, some of these other we people. We always get just... this question about like who would have won, and we've had other people. We've all, like, me and my buddies, we always argue about like, oh, that y'all wouldn't have beat this team or that team. I always, obviously, my opinion is biased. I think we would have won. But to, for me, it honestly came down to chemistry. The fact was, is that our main nucleus, when you look at Greg Oden, Mike Conley, Greg Oden, Mike Conley, Josh McRoberts, Eric Gordon, myself, <sighs> Reese Cheatham, Curtis White, we have all been playing together since the fourth grade. Like, we we had all been playing basketball together since we were in the fourth grade. So, our chemistry on the court was like no other. It wasn't like we just threw a bunch of random guys together to make this all-star basketball team. We literally lived, we all lived within a 20 minutes from each other here in Indianapolis. It wasn't like we went around searching for the best talent. We just so happened to have great players that lived here in in Indianapolis. So yeah, like, that's one thing that they did mention that here in this article where it was like majority of the players were, were from Indianapolis. So like you obviously grew up, like you said, with your chemistry. So that makes sense. Yeah. It wasn't like we threw together this all-star team to win these tournaments. Like 
we just, like I said, we were just a bunch of kids from Indy that just wanted to play basketball and play against the best people in the country. And when we started winning these tournaments, it turned into a big deal. We had no clue how big it would get. I mean, Greg Oden, number one draft pick over Kevin Durant. I was to, I will to this day never forget the first time I walked in Greg's house when he uh, was playing basketball with another team, and I asked him to come play with us. Like we could, I'm like, because we are, we're going to go to nationals. So if you come and play with us, you can go to the national tournament and get seen by all these coaches and scouts, and we can possibly win a national championship if you play with us. And he looked at me and goes, I got to think about it because a lot of your games are on weekends, and that's when I like to watch cartoons. I'm like, okay, he wants to watch cartoons on Saturdays. He doesn't want to go play basketball. Like, my man, you're like six foot five. And you're nine years old. Like, <laughs> like what is going on? We we needed you play basketball, man. Yeah, I never got into Saturday morning cartoons. Actually, like in Minnesota, like I'm always outside up north on the Saturdays. So a little <coughs> or I mean, growing up with kids, like you're out like riding your bikes and stuff in the neighborhood, Minnesota or playing life. or playing pickup games and stuff like that. Sacrifice comes to mind. You never realize it because you're kids. You don't think about it, but you sacrifice a lot of childhood doing all those tournaments and stuff. Like, during the summertime, other kids were out playing. We traveled almost every single weekend. We were playing basketball somewhere. Like, this is what we did all summer long, which is why my friends from, like, those AAU teams, like Mike and Greg and Reese and Curtis and Lightwork, we're all still friends to this day because that was our childhood. Like, we were together in hotels and piled up in 15-passenger church vans traveling across the country from game to game to game like that's what we chose to do with our lives but we did it together and we accomplished a lot so those are like stories and like my brothers for life because we've like we've all come so we've all grown up now as men we have families married kids everyone's gone their own separate paths but like when I look back at basketball like I, those are my best days I remember just me playing ball with my friends it wasn't about championships and all that like we were just there to try to win we just had fun playing ball as you get older it becomes very very political and much more intense so like I said we had no clue it would grow and become such a as big as it was there's still Speece Indie Heat teams till this day and we created the name Indie Heat in my dad's basement <laughs> sitting there playing video uh, games we had to figure out what our we had a tournament that weekend and we, I had a sleepover at my house on that Friday. And we're like, we have to figure out what our name is going to be for the team. And I remember somebody was like, man, let's be the heat because we hot. And I was like, all right, that's it. Okay. <laughs> okay. It was like the first thing someone said, we just went with it. It's almost like the hot pocket. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you they were like, we need a jingle. Clicks. Yeah. Hot pocket. Like, all right, that's what we're going with. There we go. That's it. It works. He was the first person to step up. So we're like, yeah, I give you a great, great job having initiative, being yeah. a leader. We're going to go yeah. with that. You see some of those sports movies where it's the players who are all like older. They're like, man, all we did as kids was just play, just to be, just to play as kids and then to win. Basically, exactly what you just said is like the things that you hear about or see in movies. So that's why they're good. relatable. Yep. They relate to the audience. I mean, a lot of movies come from a real place. Either the writer, the director, or somebody 
had good to, movies. Oh, the good ones. Yeah, do. yeah, like, yeah. The good ones. Like you, you know, like dude, I'll watch some. I'm not an expert in some things, but some of the movies where they're like trying to do a story, and I'll look. I'm like, well, that's bullshit. That's. I mean, <laughs> we just watched a movie last week, and there was a couple of things where like, all right, that's pretty movie like, <laughs> and we could talk about that in a little bit. But yeah, some of those real movies, like Remember the Titans, Coach Carter, um. A lot of it's honestly sports movies, if you think about it, that have like that good, strong writing, upbringing uh, background. Well, because, I mean, almost everyone played sports growing up or or sometimes they did something together. A hundred percent. Sports. Sports is just the, the only place. I'm not going to say the only place, but it's one of those rare spots in life where you can have that true David and Goliath story that that plays out in front of us in the you get to see someone overcome adversity mm. and become a champion and win. And we get to see it. And you don't get to really see that journey and a lot of things in life. Like it's, and it, if it is, it is, it just with sports, it's just a little more entertaining because we get to see the, it all play out right in front of us. There's, so after there's, high, other, so, there's other areas that happens, but. So after high school in AAU, time. where'd you go? So after high school in AAU, I went to, I went to Illinois that was that was a good time. Uh, my dream school, D. Brown, Darren Williams, Luther Head. That was the generation. They went to the finals and they lost to North Carolina. So watching a team with three guards who were the stars of the team, like back in the day, it was always drop the ball inside to the big man. You wanted to give it to the big man. So watching three guards dominate and control the team, and they weren't very big. It wasn't like they were six seven. Six five. These dudes are all between six foot and six four. So I'm thinking, like, yeah, that's me all day. Athletic guards that can run up and down the court who get to run the show. Wait, I want to play with, on a team like that. You play with no, D-Brown? I didn't play. I didn't. I didn't play with them. That's what made oh, me okay. want to go to I Illinois. Gotcha. So I gotcha. yeah, that yeah. was my dream school. He was one of my favorite players. Definitely come tournament time because he was just that guard. He was just he was like six. He was like six foot or something like that. Simple Shoot had a lot of intensity. He controlled the court. And D Brown was the I'm not gonna say he was Steph, but that was the first guard I saw really pulling from like the volleyball line, shooting threes with the high socks and the headband. <laughs> the high socks Had the yeah. Iris and braids. He was coming down court pulling from deep. I love D Brown. So I'm like, I gotta go to Illinois. So I get there and it's just one of those things almost like the um the the best movie I can describe it, because we're just talking about movies, is like the movie Drumline with Nick Cannon. How they tell you you're gonna be super corny, I know. But <laughs> no, just it's like, not. It's it's not that corny. But I just but watched like, it they, not that long ago. They come to your house. They tell you you're gonna be the star and how much they need you. They bring you on a visit. They show you around the school and you're super pumped. And then you get to your, your first practice and it's like all that shit goes out the window. It is yeah. like you show up to practice and the coach that said he loved you. It's cussing you out. They're screaming in your face. They're they're riding you. Everything you do is wrong. They're telling you how much they don't need you and to pack it up and go home. And that's kind of – I know we talked earlier with boxing, like embracing the grind, similar mentality. You got upperclassmen that are going hard at you every day of practice, and you got to have that killer mentality and fight for your spot. Um, and those are those situations. If it's not in you – as a person to like fight back, 
So like, nope, I'm not, I'm not just going to just take this line down. I'm going to keep coming every day and keep working hard. I, I saw players quit and give up and transfer out, but I was destined to, I wanted to stay there and play and earn my spot. But it wasn't until Jeffrey Jordan showed up on campus that I had to call it, had to call it quit. So Michael Jordan's son came the following year, sophomore year. And I watched, and I'm not talking bad about the program. I'm not going to knock the school. They was It was the Big Ten and playing, playing there was so much fun, but it just became a situation. I'm fighting for a spot with a guy who I'm better than, and I just – and there was no winning. There was too many politics involved. And that's when UND, the coach of UND, I was home for the summer, and I went to open gym. And he talked to me about transferring, and he was the one that kind of said, you could, you want to stay there and fight for your position all season long, or you want to come here with me and be the guy, and you can be a big fish in a small pond. Like, you get to play, you live in Indy, your family can come see you play every game, and I'm you're my guy. Like, I'll run – the offense is going to run through you, the ball's going to be in your hands, and you can, like – play he's like he played overseas he's like I'll help you help get you to that next level so for me it was kind of like a it was a tough decision it was one of the tougher decisions I ever had to make what year was that or to stay (laughs) this was I graduated 06 07 08 I loved UNI though UNI was a good time man it was it was division two school but that, that that was really the hardest part was going from D1 to D2 but um you know we we UND is thriving now, and I like to think that we were the start of that. Because when I first got to UND, the basketball program was almost non-existent. It was all about football at that school. No one cared about basketball at all. Now they're sponsored by Nike. They got a brand-new court. They got donors and sponsors. They actually have a legitimate basketball program. So I like to think that we were the start of that, where we were show able to show how good a basketball team or what the what a basketball team can bring to the table if you have a good basketball team at your school. And you graduated from there? Or you finished school there? No, no, no. I didn't finish school. I finished in Marion. So what they don't tell you is, which is the tough part about college basketball, it is so hard to graduate on time. When you play college basketball, that's a that's a full time job. So trying to graduate on time play sports, do all the the workouts and everything you got to do as far as like filling your athletic obligations, it's tough to take the amount of credit hours you need to take. So you always end up like a semester. Well, for me, I was a semester short, which a lot of players were. But obviously my mother, she's not the woman that was going to let me uh <laughs> not finish. But the it's kind of shitty. I'm not, again, not trying to dog to school, but – they wouldn't cover my next semester, so I had to transfer and go to Marion. Yeah, they didn't cover my next semester. How come? Uh, They would only – just being cheap, the only way they would do it, they said if they did it for me, they have to do it for everybody, like everyone who was a semester short, all athletes who were semester short. But I feel like you should. That should like, you should cover it. Like, we just gave you years of our time like we gave you we and this is before those NAIA or whatever the I forget what the exact term is but the deals they have now 
where the players can get paid. Like, this is before all that. So we weren't getting paid a dime. We were leaving practice going and eating McDonald's and Taco Bell. So I'm like, you know, this is like you could at least let me get my last semester of school in. But I ended up going to Marion. Marion's a little bit cheaper. Went to Marion, finished up. Isn't that crazy how, like, you look back and how you could perform when you were younger off of eating, like, just trash food? Like a bag of oh Cheetos, crushing, like, a two-liter of Mountain Dew, what? and then go out and drop, like, 35 points. Bro. Like, uh, have you heard? Let's okay, not even get have into you heard? Have you heard, or did you watch um that 30 for 30 on Randy Moss? When uh, he was in, no, when he was in high not. school? Man, him, I forgot who the other receiver was, but they were talking about, like, before their games Friday night, they would be drinking, smoking, who knows how many joints, and they'd go out and he'd put up, like, 250 yards, four touchdowns, easily. But then again, Randy Moss is a freaking nature, so. I will get my best drinking story and performing, not in the game. I never, I I did, I was pretty disciplined in college to an extent. Like, not on game days, but we went out on a Thursday night, like, first week of college, you get there, or, like, not first week of college, but first week of the school year. I think it's, like, my senior year there at UND. Thirsty Thursday, we go out, we party, we drink, we got the freshmen, incoming, huge party, everyone has a great time. 5 a.m., coach calls everybody, and like, meet me on the track at 6 a.m. I'm mm-hmm. captain, so I have to, like, wrangle. I got to get everybody together. I'm calling people. I'm carpooling. I'm driving by to pick up the freshmen from their dorms, and we all get to the track. Coach puts us on the track and was like, we're doing a mile run. Guards have to make it in, like, four minutes and 30 seconds. Bigs have uh. to make it in, like, 530. Yeah, for, like, the mile. And he was like, we're going to do this every morning at 6 a.m., every Friday morning at 6 a.m., until everyone makes their time. And then I remember him saying, whoever, once you make your time, you don't have to come. Any, you don't have to run. You still have to come, but you don't have to run anymore. So I'm like, what? I'm like, if I make it today, this is after a night of drinking. Like, we're there at six. I'm thinking in my head, like, coach, I didn't go. I didn't get home till three. Like, what are you talking about? As soon as he said, I'm done. If I can make it today, me – I'm Ryan Sims, uh, who's a coach now at um, IPFW. Yeah. He got on the line. We both perked up. Like, we looked at each other and made that look like, yeah, I'm taking as a, are you taking off? I'm like, yes, I'm taking off. As soon as he says go, we both just took off sprinting. Sprinted as hard as I possibly could. I finished in four minutes and 11 seconds. Damn. Four minutes and 11 seconds. And that record stood for like, I want to say, like, years. I think one person may have beat me. That record was, like, the fastest mile time we had for the basketball team for, like, years. Somebody you, beat me. Did you throw like up? 409. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, when I crossed yeah. the line, I threw up. <laughs> he threw up. threw up. <laughs> but it was worth it. I didn't have to run anymore in the morning. I'd be sitting there with donuts. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I'd, be sitting in, I'd be in the bleachers with donuts and a hoodie and flip-flops. Like, yeah, man. Like good good luck guys. Have fun with that. Do you remember what you drank? Probably not. Oh God, yeah. Who knows? Who knows? We were. I was in college. We were cheap kids. We were probably drinking Smearing Natty off Lights and, and like, yeah, and probably Smearing Mike's off Hard the Lemonade. Natty Lights. 
<laughs> Damn, I'm that hurts my some, stomach. Some Kamchaka. <laughs> it was college, man. We did. We were. You pull up to the liquor store and get ten dollar fifth of alcohol and call it a day. And like, what? Drinking this nasty stuff. Damn. Do you remember two elevens? Twenty two. Still. I don't. I remember they were called two eleven steel reserves. <laughs> I've heard of steel reserves. Nasty. I've drank those before. Those are those the are nasty. nastiest, grossest beer you've ever seen in your life. And I um. I, we used to. They were like a dollar for four. <laughs> they're in bullets. I think they're in bullets, basically. So it's like a. It's like a. Is it a thirty-two ounce can? They're like tall. I mean, they probably a different size. I had them before. I talked about um, on the last episode with Terrence when I moved out here. I lived off of 38th Street, right? And we've talked about it. I did not and... know that. <sighs> I've, told, I've told you this story. Um, so I moved out. I moved to 38th Street. I won't like say the whole thing again. But that night we, the night I got there, Terrence met me because he already lived out here. And then we went to a liquor store. I think it was like community spirits or something like that. Shout out. Um, <laughs> and I walked in and at the time I was like, whatever, I'm just, I'm just getting a beer. I don't care. I walked in, we walked in and you're in a room and it was almost like you were in a bank, right? You have um, just like bulletproof windows everywhere. And then you walk up to the teller and you just point what you want. They open the drawer, you put your cash in, they take it, they get what you want and you leave. And we had uh, something not as bad as Steel Reserve, but we had Terrence had OE and I had a Colt 45 oh double malt. I had Colt 45 double malt because I was like, hey, man, let's just chill. Let's enjoy our night. And that was my first night here. And I don't think I only drank. thing missing I don't think was the low rider. No, there was some I in the neighborhood, the, not mine, but there was definitely the, some. <laughs> he had the OE and the Colt. He was, Colt I mean, 45. he was somebody who. He wasn't the first friend who introduced me to Friday and we would always watch it. He's like, Hey man, let's we get a 40 ounce. I'm like, wow, this is, this should be fun. And we just went, walked in, grabbed a 40 and then went back to the house that I was living in. And I just hey, felt like, I felt like we used to drink back in the day. Crap. I used to drink forties back in the day being a stupid kid. Do you remember the original four locos before they changed the alcohol content in them? Yes. So, so when I bought some, I lived in Minnesota at the time. I bought some and it was um I was like, oh, this is a cool can. It was like pink or orange camo or something, right? Yep. And this is back in like 2000 and maybe like 9, 2010. I bought one and then as soon as I left, I text somebody about it. And they're like, hey, there's an article going around that like college kids are dying from them because essentially it's an energy drink mixed with alcohol. And I didn't realize... Um, it kind of reminds me of that Cat Williams bit where he had like coffee and alcohol and you're like <laughs> high and fun. <laughs> but, um, I think it was like 12% yeah. or something like that. And I don't think I've ever got that. I feel like it was higher than that. I feel well, like you the get, original might've been like 18. Well, it hits you so quick. So it was like, you, you get buzzed. I mean, I haven't had one in years, but. I'm sure my tolerance is different now, but I just remember it would <laughs> hit you right away and it would last until you fall and you couldn't fall asleep because it was an energy drink, right? Like you're you're up. You have energy with alcohol. And it was a dangerous combination. I hated it, man. 
I do not. The first time I had one, we didn't even sip it. We played beer pong with four locos. We were, this is like pre-COVID, so this is like back in the day where we really like threw the ball, and when it landed in the cup, you took the ball out the cup and chugged the cup. Back in the day, we just, people, everyone touched the ball, the ball hits the ground, we're missing, and we're just throwing it in the drink and then drinking the drink. That was that was college for you back in the day. Damn, but man. we did it with four locos, and I remember being so sick, and I couldn't understand why. I don't remember exactly how I felt in the morning, but I'm sure it wasn't good. I remember we went camping. Uh, a group of us went camping. Terrence was actually involved in that one, too. We went camping in, like, not Rum River Gorge, but it was somewhere south in Indiana. And I brought, like, one of them, passed it around. We were in the trails at night, and I, like, fell, and I couldn't see anything. I, like, fell into a gorge. But, like, I didn't care because I was so gone. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm just, like, looking around. I'm looking at the stars. I'm like, I could be dead right now. Easily. Yeah, I never want to drink those again, man. You're from Minnesota. You'd be all right. No, I'm not, I don't care. I'm not, I'm not drinking those. <laughs> Especially no, now, man. Never. Now it's like well, now we're old. Now we're we... over thirty. Like I don't, I don't play with that. I look stuff, at the man. alcohol content. Everything I drink now. What? Yeah, <laughs> I don't even I like being. Uh, yeah, I don't even. It's not even fun anymore. So how did you get from? <clears throat> so after basketball, after what? So what? What was your next step after college? Then I went to Canada. So I go to Canada to play pro ball in Canada. Which I was, was going to say, you probably so played pro ball. Yeah, so much fun, which it was an experience. I didn't get rich or anything like that, but being a, what, 20-something-year-old kid at the time, like, I'm getting paid to go play ball. This was the life. Like, I'm in another country. In the wintertime? Canada before. Yeah, the wintertime in Canada sucks. I'm not going to lie about that. Where, Canada where in Canada? The, uh, London, Ontario. Don't Canada. You that, don't you hate that country steal, like, other city names? Yeah, I, yeah. When I tell people, when they were like, "Where, like, where in Canada?" I'm like, "London." London. Like, Everyone looks at you weird. I'm like, "It's it's London, Ontario." Like, I don't know what to tell you. Right. But it was actually kind of dope because, um, what is it? There's a college, Northwestern, not Northwestern, like Illinois, Northwestern here. But there's a college, Northwestern. I believe that's the college name that's in. In London, Ontario. So you just have a younger generation of Canadian kids there that are more, you know, I mean, they're just more in tune with like Drake was popular at the time. Bieber was out, you know, so being American and being out there in Canada, it was definitely it was, it was a time to be alive. College of time. Northwest. That's what it was. It was Northwest. It just says College of yeah. Northwest London. Yeah. Yep. It was definitely a time out there. And then Canadian people love to drink, man. They they love to party. They're friendly. They love to party. It's definitely different. It gets cold, though. They have, like, in the wintertime, people go to the grocery store and everyone leaves their car running. Yeah. But no one steals the car. So they just leave them running. Everyone goes in and shops and gets their stuff and comes out, hops it's, in the car. It is. I've been to... You don't see it too much in Minnesota, like too often. Um, I have a little bit, but Canada, obviously, it's more north. So it's like if your car starts in the morning, you leave that shit running. 
because that stuff kills your battery. All that cold weather. Yeah, it's tough. London was it's fun. I used, I mean when I was there, I loved it. I stayed up there a lot. Met some really cool people. Definitely had a blast. Uh, it was a different time though. Different experience, pro. Um, than being in college, like it was definitely a different experience. Uh, playing with like grown men. Like in college, we're all buddies. We're friends. We're hanging out. We go to like the little common area of the school and like hang out in the cafeteria, talk to girls and stuff. Like when you're done with practice at the pro level, practice is just over. Everyone's going home. Stop talking to me. Yeah. Like I'm the little kid on the team that wants to like, hey guys, what are we doing? Everyone's like, go home. But we're all going home. Canada is a beautiful country, but I feel like in the winters or something, this is like at night. Everyone either wants to it go was, and either go to a bar because it's dark and cold, or you just go home and sleep. It was it was cool though. I got traded to, so I was in I was in London for a year. Then my second year, I got traded to. Um, I was in London for two years actually. Got traded my last year to Mississauga, the Mississauga Power. It's in Toronto. Okay. That. That's not as fun because they got the Toronto Raptors, so no one cares about the Mississauga Power. Right. In London, the only two pro teams we had in London were us and the hockey team. So, like, to when you go out in the public in London, it was dope, though, because you were kind of like – like, you we're not – I wouldn't say NBA status, but, like, we're professional athletes. I'm a professional athlete. If I go out to a restaurant, like, to eat by myself, somebody really would like come up and ask you for an autograph or ask you for a picture. So that was kind of like a, I made it moment when you're out to eat and some random stranger wants to take a picture with you and get your autograph. Cause they watched the game on TV or they went to the game last week or something. So you're like, Oh, that's dope. Yeah. Mississauga was different. Crazy story in Canada. First car accident I've ever been in because of snow. So, one of my best friends, Adrian Moss, I go to Canada, and he comes out there the year after me and plays on a team in Windsor called the Windsor Express, right by Michigan. Okay. So we play his team, and we, we played them, and we lose. We lost to them, and we end up stuck at the hotel because it's a blizzard. So, like, the bus isn't leaving. We're not driving back home. So we're stuck at this hotel. So I call him and tell him, like, yo, like, I'm still in Windsor. Like, I'm here for the night. He's like, what? Like, man, I'm, we're going out. Like, this is he's a our college teammate. So he's like, I'm about to come pick you up. I'll be there in, like, 20 minutes. So I take a shower, get dressed. He scoops me up. He takes me to, like, the club. I literally, like, hanging out with some of his teammates and stuff. We're having a good time in the club. Club shuts down, and we're driving back. And it's, like – I'm talking so bad we cannot see. Like, it's the worst. Like, I, I, we didn't – we thought blizzard and we thought, like, Indiana blizzard warning, like, we'll be fine. Yeah. No, this is Canadian. <laughs> this is Canadian blizzard. Like, this is no joke. We slide off the road and we run straight into the guardrail. Like, airbags deploy, smack us in the face, everything. Like, it was like a, he totaled the car. Cause this man had just got a, um, at the time he had just got the, it was like when they first came out, the challenger, like it was the black when he thought it was like the Batmobile. Yep. And he <clears throat> totaled it. <laughs> he totaled it, flat out totaled it. 
Oh, it was awful. But we survived, though, luckily. Luckily, that was like one. We were like, how stupid were we for driving through Canada in a Challenger at 3 o'clock in the morning? I feel like those Challengers are probably like rear-wheel drive, too. So you have like no traction. So, yeah, it's pretty much as soon as it catches or gets any any give, it's gone. Dumbest thing we could have done. I don't know why we did it, but we didn't. Still just still trying to live that life. I don't know. We were excited to be in the same like teammates and be just we're both pros now. It's, we gotta hang, we gotta do something. We gotta celebrate it. Like we're we made it and then crashed the car. But so to get to boxing. Wait, hold up. Before we get there, I need you to tell me the the best basketball story of your basketball experience. <laughs> What, the best basketball story? The one that you, yeah, you told us over oh, breakfast. Talking about, <laughs> we talking about the, the red line or talking about D-Rose? D-Rose is a cool story, too. You can explain that one real quick. So, for the D-Rose story, I'm in Nike camp because uh, I'm with Species Any Heat. My team, a bunch of us get selected to play in Nike camp because we got the number one team. But when you get to Nike camp, like, they split you up. So we're all on different teams. So I'm on the purple team. Have no clue. Like, I look at Greg and Mike are on the same team. They're on, like, orange. Reese is on green. Curtis is on, like, I forget what color he was on, but I'm on purple. So I go to get my jersey, and I'm, like, 198. Like, the, everyone's numbers are high. And I'm sitting there with a bunch of guys I don't know. And we're in the layup line. We're laying the ball up. Derek Rose is my teammate. Never met him before. I just – I've heard of him. I've, I've heard about him. Never really seen him play. I just know he's supposed to be one of the best guards in the country. So we're playing the first game. I get a steal. I steal it from a kid. I'm driving out court, and I see him running the lane. I look over, and I throw this no-look bounce pass, and he catches it, and he lays it in. And, like, the team calls timeout. I'm thinking, like, man, I just made a great play. I'm looking good in front of these scouts. So I go to the bench, and he, like, looks at me with this, like, what are you doing? Look on his face, and it's like, hey, next time, Throw it up, like throw yeah. the oop. So I'm like, yep. yeah, I got, I got you, bro, got you. Couple plays later, the game's going. I steal the ball from the guy again. I steal it from him. Good defense. I'm running, dribbling down court, and I see him over my, my shoulder, hauling ass, sprinting full speed, coming like, okay, he wants to oop. So in my mind, I think I'm about to throw the best alley oop ever and look like I'm just just <laughs> <laughs> looking like I'm the top guard out here. So I throw a no, no look alley oop over my shoulder and, like, walk off when I throw it up in the air and, like, start jogging down court the other way. I look up. It's the worst alley-oop I've ever thrown in my entire life. Like, the rims here, the ball's over by the corner of the backboard. Like, oh, my God, it's about to go out of bounds. I'm going to look like an idiot. This dude jumps in the air, catches the ball with his right hand, puts it back in his left, cocks it back behind his head with both hands and just, boom, slams in the rim and then we all stopped like the entire game stopped for a second and was like what just happened like he was such is a his story is still one of the like the saddest basketball stories in my opinion because I loved watching him play I loved seeing him with the Bulls I'm you know I mean just seeing he was the youngest MVP explosive dominating yes. He was the most dominating score. I don't want to say the most dominating scoring guard, but he was the most no. explosive guard, I think. 
John Morant was having a good year until he decided to do all the stuff he's doing now. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna get. I'm not. I'm not even gonna get on that. But I will say that regardless of Jaws, he's amazing. I don't think anything can compare to that that MVP Derrick Rose year. That MVP D Rose run was something special. Like it was because I was connected to it because I played yeah. with them and played against them after that. And like, I knew how he played and I knew how especially like, I still to this moment, remember that dunk. So I was, cause my teammates hadn't seen it. I saw it cause I, it was my oop. And I remember when we got done with our first round of games, like meeting up with like Greg and Mike and Reese and all them. And I'm looking at him and I'm like, yo, like the Derrick Rose dude, he's special. Like, He's different. Like he's not just this isn't a regular this isn't a regular human being on my team. Like this guy is a different there's something different inside of him. Like, where did they find this guy? Is this he was not born in Chicago. He was born in the lab somewhere and they just dropped him off. There's so no way he's jumping so We we're gonna wrap up your basketball history with where you had to play against a team who um how do I put this? Oh, oh man! <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to do. You don't have to do all of the everything. You could, if you want to explain it, you can. I thought it was one of the funniest stories, just because I'm trying to picture um, your like how how you would feel basically. So like you you're going you're suiting up. When I first came to um, Indiana, like my mother. My mother's uh she's a she was a professor, scholarly woman. So I just need to say I had good grades. So when I first came here, um I had I was I went to a private school. So the private school that I was at, we had a very different we were in like a private school league. I didn't get to play all the public schools that all my friends got to play against. So we have one of our games in this season is against the Indiana Deaf School. And I didn't know we were on the road. Like we, so we get on the school bus, we drive to this school, we get there. No one's really in the gym, and we're everyone signing. But it was like a typical game, layup line, and then they take the court, and it was all normal at first. Like okay, typical game. We do starting lineup. We come out. They tip the ball. I catch it, and like their coach wanted to win. Like they were competitive. So the moment I get the ball, they double team me. Like I touch the ball and they double me. And obviously I can't talk and they might, they start making these noises. So you didn't I, hold up. <laughs> you didn't know they were deaf before. I knew they were deaf, but I okay. expected it to be a silent game. Like they they're gonna like sign and pass the ball and not talk. I wasn't aware of like they still can make noise. They're just deaf. Now I'm not making fun of anybody. Yeah, That's we're just, just to clarify, ignorant. just to clarify everything out there. We are not at not all. at all. Make sure. It was my ignorance at the time that I had no Exactly. Clue. We were young. We were young people. It's okay. <laughs> no clue that they would that these noises were gonna happen. So I'm shook as a kid. I'm like, well, I'm just passing the ball. I don't know what to do. Like I'm honestly kind of scared of them. So I'm just passing the ball, passing the ball. And they're playing hard. And then eventually my coach is like, Devin, like, play. Like, what are you doing? Like, go play. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to play. And the next play, 
I steal the ball from a kid, and I'm in the eighth grade. <laughs> drive down court, cock back, and just dunk it. Ah! <laughs> I start yelling, like, ah! And he was like, sub, sit down. He takes me out the game, and he was like, and I didn't get back in the rest of the game. I was like, what did I do? I'm like, that was a, you told me to play, man. Don't tell uh, me to play if you don't want me to play. Well, it's like, uh, it's almost like that it. thing where, like, if you play pickup basketball, and I've done this with some of my friends, and, like, one of their girlfriends wants to play, right? And, like, she actually, like, has – she played high school basketball. And, like, you're playing – it's, like, three on three or whatever, like, you're playing. And, like, let's say if she's guarding you, if you make, a like, a move on – like, make a like a quick crossover move and, like, lay it up, they're like, yo, man, take it easy. But then it's – it's not the same the other way around. Like if I go up and I get the ball stolen from me, they're like, yo, what are you doing? So like you don't know how to play in a position like that. Yeah, you don't. <sighs> and to be fair, to be fair, equality. Treat them as equal. So I treated them like I would anybody else. I stole exactly. the ball and I went and dunked on somebody. That was only right. They wanted to play the game. And get the same experience. So that's how it is. Have you seen like the guy who fights Muay Thai who has one arm? He's actually very talented. And I'm like, yeah, you're about to get he can beat blocks, he kicks people in the face, he yes, he fights well in the clinch. He's a good fighter. He's a Muay Thai oh, fighter. Wait, an arm. wait, I think I know who you're talking about. I think I know who you're like, talking about. Yeah. If you come out and take it easy, you're about to get beat up by a guy with one arm. Like you better not take it easy. There's a kid with one arm that plays basketball. And I'm yeah. like, uh, he came to Indy and played. I saw him dunk on somebody. Like, you just got dunked on by a guy with one arm. I'm not knocking him. That's my point. Is like, you can't take it easy. You got to play. These yeah. kids, he can, this kid can actually play. He's actually very talented at basketball. Like, so you're so talking you about. Take it easy. Let me see. The one arm Muay Thai fighter is Jake Peacock. Calgary yep. Muay Thai fighter. So it's probably a Canadian. Yeah, he's they got love one arm. fighting camp. Yeah, he's talented though. Like he's not bad. So you you come out there and take it lightly, you're gonna get beat. So you, I mean, to his point, he demands your respect for you to treat him like an actual fighter. I mean, he is an actual fighter to treat him like to give him the respect that he deserves as a fighter. Like yeah. this isn't a gimmick. This isn't for show. He trains. He does everything that everyone else does, and he's developed a style that works even though he's missing an arm. He's developed a style that works for him in this sport. So if you, again, if you take him lightly, if you're a good fighter and you don't come out there and, and fight him correctly, you're going to get lose. You're going to lose. I mean, win, lose, or draw, I don't care who I lose to. Losing sucks. Like, yeah. I, I don't want to lose, period. So, like, yeah, you got to give them the respect that they want. I think at that point in the eighth grade, I just was I, – as far as basketball goes, at the eighth grade level, I was I was very talented for that age level. Like I was tall, I was athletic, I played with one of the best teams in the state. So I was they they just weren't used to playing against someone like me. Not at that school either. Like the school I went to was terrible. Like the rest of the team was awful. And I'm not knocking the players on my team, but it just wasn't a, a basketball powerhouse school. So having myself there, I think dunking on them, my coach got upset because that's just not something that they 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 usually see happen in the private school league in the eighth grade. But yeah, hey, hey, 
You told me to play, so I played as hard as I could. Coach says play, you go play. Hey, that's all I know. You told do me as, to play. Do as I say, not as I do, Coach. Good old hey. I, I miss the private school league, though. It was good times. The parents at that school used to hate – like some of the parents hated me. I'll never forget my father, rest in peace, getting into an argument with the mother from a kid from my team because she told him it's not fair. Every time Devin shoots the ball, it goes in, and it's just so easy for him. And my dad was like, what? (laughs) He was like, no joke. My dad had keys to the school. We had keys to this school. And we used to get up every morning at 6 a.m. before school started. I would go to the gym, and he would make me make 100 shots from every spot on the court before I could go to school. That was before we got there at 6 a.m. School started at, like, 8. I would make 100 shots. So my dad's like, "That's that's not luck. Like, that's hard work. He puts in the work. He works a lot harder than your son does at this like he deserves that's why he makes those shots but just the entitlements of some people that it's mm-hmm. not fair i'm like and nothing in life is fair it's all it's hard you work hard kind of like habib said like well, you either work hard or you don't <laughs> the thing is is like with some of those people who have that entitlement they feel that they're always going to come out on top and when they're not, they automatically start to find excuses or start to complain or come up with some type of narrative just because they're like, well, he's cheating because I, you know, I'm supposed to be the one or or my son, whatever, whoever the entitled people are like, they're the ones that are supposed to be on top. So it's like, how about you just accept yeah. the fact that somebody put in more work than you, you know, give credit. Where Hard credit is work due. has always been a staple in my family with anything. So last story, I don't know if I've told you this, but quick story on private school. My most, my favorite private school accomplishment, which people don't know, my like hidden fact, is I was on the chess team. I beat the number one play. I wasn't the greatest chess player. I got pretty good. So I practiced a lot when I was on the chess team. But during my time on the chess team, in one tournament, um, I think the highest ever placed in tournament was third place. But in that, I placed third because I beat the number one chess player in the state. His name was Tay Wong. And I think he went to Sycamore, Sycamore Middle School, I believe. Mm-hmm. It was a Sycamore St. Richards. I can't remember. Both of them are like very smart schools. Sycamore St. Richards. And I I beat him. And But people didn't know that uh, I, I the first couple of chess tournaments he went to, I got demolished. And I came home and was like sad and I was crying. And so yeah. my dad got mad and was like, like, like you're going to cry. Like, are you going to do something about it? So I'm like, let's do something about it. My dad went and got me a – he knew a guy named Mr. Gant. I will never forget – I forget his first name. He was Mr. Gant, who knew my father, and he was like a big old school guy who, like, grew up playing chess his whole life and was, like, very – he was old school, good chess player. He would meet me after school. He would come to the house and play me in chess. And he showed me, like, formations and, like, this is this. And he would teach me all these different chess formations. And he would play me. He would teach me a formation, and then he would play me and want me to use it. And then, But he would still – he would always beat me every time. But I played him for months and months and got beat every single time. 
But playing him, I got so much better at chess that I was able to beat Pei Wong. And I will never forget because chess isn't like a – it's not a talk shit sport. But, like, that's all I've ever played. That's all I know. Yeah. So I remember knocking down his king and being like, checkmate, bitch. <laughs> and, like, yelling it. <laughs> Like yelling it in the eighth grade at this tournament, everyone looking like what? Yeah, because like is it is up. everyone is everyone in the same room? Like everyone's in like a cafeteria everybody, or like a every, gymnasium? Every, yes. Okay. And they cleared out the gym. They had all these tables in the gymnasium. It's dead silent, and then I'm like, "Ooh, in your face! It hurts, <laughs> don't it?" I be. <laughs> the kid was about to cry. He like starts tearing up. And I can only imagine for him that had to be devastating. I just lost to this kid. He hadn't lost a game in like three years, and I beat him. Oh, man. And I'll never forget this other kid, Drew Smelzer. Schmelzer. Drew Schmelzer. He was on my team. That was his name. He had just finished playing. He jumped up from his table and started screaming. He was like, oh, my God. Devin beat Paywall. Like we're running down the hallway. I was like, hey, that was one of my favorite memories of that school, though, sitting there with that. I still, to this day, have that chest trophy. That chest trophy meant a lot to me. I worked hard for that. Do you have my it at the house? Place. Yeah, my third place chest trophy. Is that on the that mantle in the room? Yep. Okay, yep. I've seen it. Yeah, 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 I've seen that. It's one of my prior possessions. It's my third place chest trophy now. I needed, That was a big tournament for me. All the basketball trophies, state championships, got my little ring and medal from the state. That was big, but that chess trophy, that was that was a different type of working hard. I worked hard for that. Plus, you upset the number one player. I, well, yeah, I wasn't supposed to win that. That felt good. Like I said, does, go, does David, if you was going to make it, man, tell Netflix, let me get a movie. That's, that's a movie. It's movie worthy. It's a Cinderella <laughs> story right there. It's a 30 for 30. So how did you get – where did your passion from boxing come? Well, I know where we met. I know we met at title. And I remember yeah. I I, I want to say I talked – I think you, me, and Ted talked at some point after a class because I was training a class. And you were there. You're always in the back. Yep. And then I think we just started talking, and then you ended up working at title. So – it was always a love for boxing, a passion for boxing. My dad boxed. I remember being a little kid, watching my dad and my uncles box in the garage or in the basement. Um, I remember getting into my first fist fight at school and my dad being mad at me and, like, making – teaching me how to box after that and them showing me stuff. Like I said, I was into – I always wanted to be a Ninja Turtle and a Power Ranger and all those things growing up. So martial arts and all those things were always – in my heart and soul, just basketball and sports. The more popular sports took over as I got older. But having my daughter, so having a daughter on the way um, and and trying to do the nine-to-five DCS big boy job, um, cubicle life just didn't it, – it didn't suit me. So when I found title originally, like when you were teaching classes – it was just to work out and do something else besides a typical L.A. fitness membership. I was just working right. out, getting in shape, punching the bag and doing just getting back into something that I loved. 
And it's just crazy how when you truly find like your passion, when you truly find a passion, how a passion can become a purpose. I was reading something the other day and they were, uh, they were saying like, if you find something you're passionate about and you find something that you're good at, and then you use that to help others, like you help other people do that, you now have like a purpose. And it was just crazy how I came to title and started off just being a member there and was like fell in love with boxing and like fighting all over again. Met you, met Ted, um, Damien, met from Ted there, like just all these people, all the, the clients. And we really had like a family there. And how that just sparked into all that for me. Like that that one day, because it was a Groupon where I got like, oh, there's a Groupon where I had like two weeks of free classes. So thanks to Matt. Matt did do that for me. He yeah. put a Groupon. He had a Groupon where I had like 10 bucks and I got two weeks of classes um, at, at Title. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do it. Two weeks, man. I was sick of LA Fitness. It was expensive. I mean, I'm gonna go boxing. Was there for two weeks. I'm like, man, I love it. I'm signing up. I'd much rather come here and do this. I became addicted and got into training again and got in good shape. And then it just went from there. Where I started, I started back then. Got hired, <laughs> got hired to work there and start training and teaching classes. And then it just grew and grew and grew. But it yeah, gave loved. me back something that I had I had missed for so long, man. I I I had missed the gym. That was the thing. Like I loved working at Title. I mean, when I moved out here, that was the first thing that I clung to because of my my background in boxing. And then it was just started working there, and then you're there all the time. So where you spend your time, you kind of almost like not morph, but you start thinking more about that, like. I already loved boxing, so I started working at a boxing gym. And you meet so many different people. Like in most gyms, like you're networking with other trainers, but you're networking networking with the members too. And you learn about oh, yeah. other people. Like if you, I mean, you'll you'll network with somebody who is like a mechanic. You're like, hey, I'm having an issue with my car. Like, can you just like? It sounds like this. Can you help me? Like you you come across some great people. At gym, like as a personal trainer you do because you're always around so many different people but yeah i mean i was there for a couple of years i think you were working there before i before i quit the first time i think the first time i met you there you taught a class i was teaching then, yes, but then when you started working there was i working there no when i started okay. working you weren't and then you came back then I came you back. came back i was working there at that point yep it was you ted myself Oh yeah, it was the I man title. What we had at title was special. Um, just just the the community that we had developed there with the with the clients, the friendships and the bonds we had like with the workers. It that was one of the few places I can say with like my with my coworkers. It really was like a family. Like a lot of yeah. jobs use that cliche corny line, like we're not coworkers, we're a family. Like, no, we're not. Yeah. We're coworkers. When I clock out, don't talk to me. Like, <laughs> don't call me, don't text me, leave me alone. And it's like that with a lot of jobs, but that's one of the few places I've been where it really was like, nah, like I really became very attached. I'm like not in a bad way, but like those were all my friends. 
Well, I feel family. like it, it happens in the industries that like aren't your typical nine to fives. Yeah. Like sure. so so same with the restaurant industry. Like me, I still have close friends that I was with at Flix or the brewery or whatever. Um, and then same at Title. You know, so it's like I mean, yeah. just like at my wedding, I had a, a Flix group of probably like ten to fifteen Indeed, people that were did. there. And then the same for the boxing group. Boxing took over. It took over my life. But I mean, that was the beautiful thing though, because it did take over my life, but it it led me to in the it led me in open doors that I, I you never know. It's just one of those situations you never know where life is gonna take you. But when you find it, like you just know, like this is it. Like, okay. Which is why in life you gotta be willing to just try shit. Like you gotta be willing to just try something, take chances, try something, fail, try something else, fail, try something else you don't like it. All right. That wasn't for me. Like we get so caught up in trying to know everything and make the right move. But I think you got to just keep trying stuff because when you do finally find something that's for you and you might have a few things that are for you, like no one can say what that thing is. But when you find something that's for you, like it just clicks. You you feel it. It's a different, the energy, the vibe, it clicks. And that's how it was. As soon as I got back in the gym and got away from the for me, the typical nine to five just wasn't for me either. I always, I grew up around sports. I grew up around coaches, coaching, training, gyms, family, people, teammates. Like that's, that's been my life since the day I could walk. I started playing sports. So it's always been my life. So it just made sense to do something that, that had that element to it. I think people like, part of the reason they're afraid to try something new or do something is because they get pressured by probably like by comparison, I guess, if that makes sense. Like me, when I was growing up or, or majority of people in their twenties, like you compare yourself, like, well, a successful 25 year old is already married and has probably a second kid on the way in their house and stuff. And if you don't, then you, you start to question why you don't have that. But Honestly, it is like to your point. Me, I'm always trying mm -hmm. something else. Like I'm always trying to do something. So <coughs> like trying, trying boxing, like just suck it up. It's going to probably be nervous. It's the same for anything, really. If you I think accept, people are trying to fail. Yeah. And I think if you accept that you like, hey, I'm going to be nervous at first or like when people go to the gym for the first time, that's a scary place because you're like, everyone else here has been working out. What if they stare at me? It's like. Just go do your thing, like break your walls down a little bit. What's the what's the age old saying? The uh, comfortable being uncomfortable. That, yeah, that's a that's a yeah. <clears throat> I think people are afraid to fail, and I mean, like you said, like even if you go to the gym, people are staring at me. I think it's the it's the failure that the I people are going to look at me. It's in any job. So, for example, you go to a job. Everyone's almost ideal position in a job is to be like mid-level. Because if I do too much and I do too good at my job, now I'm a leader and people are going to stare at me. People are going to follow me. I'm, I have more responsibility. You almost people really love to be in that mid-level where I can just fit in with the group. I'm right here with everybody else. We all do the same thing. I do my job. I go home. Like that's the life that people, but to do something extraordinary, 
you kind of got to stand out a little bit, which I know we talk about sports, but that's why boxing is just so different. And I was drawn to it because it it's an individual sport that forces you yourself to stand up again. You, you got to stand. You got to stand out. You got to yeah. focus. You got to you got to overcome adversity. It's going to get tough. It's going to get hard. And you don't have any other option but to figure it out and fight through it. And if you can do it in the ring, you can do it outside the ring. You can do it in life. You can do it. That, that can apply to so many different situations in life. Like anything you do at first, you're going to suck at it. If you open a business, like how many people, that's the American dream. Like everyone can, you can be dead broke and you can start your own business and become a millionaire tomorrow. If you start your own business, if you, how many of us know anything about business? We're going to, you're going to suck at it at first, but if it's something you enjoy, okay, keep doing it. Yeah. You're going to suck at first. It's going to take a lot of practice, but eventually you'll get better. That, that takes, that's character. That takes a lot of tough mental toughness to keep doing something. Fitness, working out people. It's not going to be fun at first. If you start working out new year, new me, that's (laughs) shit's going to last about a week. I mean, a couple weeks maybe, but it's going to suck. But then eventually it gets easier and it gets better and you're going to start to enjoy it. But at that first couple months might be rough. Do you remember what boxer, and I think I know the answer, what boxer got you hooked on the sport, professional boxer? Who was your favorite one growing up? Roy Jones. Easy. Roy. Okay. I figured Roy's a pretty common one for our age group. Roy Jones was the man. He was superhuman and went against the grain because he fought everything a a coach is going to tell you to do as a boxer Roy went out there and did the exact opposite and was still successful (laughs) like hands were down head was moving didn't throw a jab oh he was horrible he was horrible like if you were trying to like learn how to box Oh no! Yeah, like he was not the he's not the one to watch just because for one he's unique and a freak freak athlete. Um, like not everyone's gonna box that way. And you're right, technique wise, he was so his loading, fast twitch muscles yeah. were different level. You can't teach a person to have that type of reaction time, that type of speed, that type of timing, and the reflexes and fast switch muscles that he just developed developed over the years. Like you could train, you could box every single day from the moment you're born and never develop those fast twitch, see it come in, slip it, boom, come with that lead hook. You may never have that. Like Roy had that. Like, yeah, that's just, that's, he's a freaking nature athlete when it comes to boxing. And yeah, it was a beautiful thing to watch him, to watch him do that though. I've always been a fan of people my size, though. Like, not saying I'm – I don't know Roy's exact measurements, but, like, I'm not going to be a Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson is one of the goats of boxing, especially Mike in his prime, but I can't fight like that or do what he does. So it was, it was never a big thing for me to be like, oh, my God, he's amazing. Yeah. Like, right now, watching basketball, I'd much rather watch Steph Curry shoot than watch LeBron do what LeBron does just because, like, I can – Steph Curry's more my size. That's more realistic. I can practice that. I can't go. Not saying you can never shoot like Steph, but I can at least mimic, try to mimic what he does. There's no way I can be 
six nine athletic freak of nature and just do what LeBron does. It's not happening. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, like you can't mimic your when I'm hitting the bag, I my stance or my height, body, whatever is not like Tyson. So it's not very <laughs> easy to like if I'm gonna sit there and do that bob and weave. I don't know. I mean, I grew up watching I mean, Roy was there, but I was it was Floyd was probably the first one back in like Early, okay. early, early 2000s. And then, Ooh. well, there was that, but then it was also like I was watching him when he was Pretty Boy Floyd, where he was just knocking everybody out a lot more offensive, a lot more aggressive. What's your and favorite Floyd fight? Gotti's really good, but I yep, think if, I, if, if, if I'm thinking just offensively, I really <clears> like <throat> when he when he messed up – um. Diego Corrales. Yep. That one was a really good one. And then when he, when he got older, I mean, it was more, it was definitely more smart, defensive. But it was him. I liked him. And then I liked some, I liked the Klitschko's growing up. I will, here's what I want to, I wanted to, I want to ask this. First off, thank you for being on, obviously. But I wanted to get your top three boxing movies, top five. Oof. How about top five? And top you five, can, top it, five. Top five works, and then explain your top two. You don't have to explain all five. Because otherwise, no that's specific give us, order. They'll give us like no another sp- hour. You know what I mean? <laughs> no specific order. Wait, I'm just wait, kinda... sorry. I'll break it down again. How about you have realistic ones and then fiction? So you have, you have based off true events or real story, and then... So honestly, now that <coughs> I think about it, events. well, now that I think about it, the fictional ones are basically just Rocky. Pretty much. Okay. Well, never mind. Yeah, like the based off a true story, the only one that that I really watch that's like I can think of that's in my like like movies I own list would be Cinderella Man. I don't okay. think I own. There's another. I'm trying to think. I don't think there's any another one that I own. Then you go fictional, even though the Rockies are obviously classics as far as the, the cinema, like you know, in American cinema, yeah, what everything they, they did, they're, they're classics, so you can't knock those. But I think the storyline and the acting in Southpaw was just it's a good story, especially being a father who's a boxer, my like myself. I uh was definitely definitely makes it more relatable. So I have them pulled up here. If you can look, I have yep. them pulled up. So for me, I would definitely say Cinderella Man and The Fighter are my two favorite. Those are my all time oh, favorite boxing the movies. The Fighter with Mickey with Mickey Ward, yeah, Mickey Ward, yeah, because Christian Bale and Mark Wahlberg. Yep, Christian Bale, that Mark one Wahlberg. was that one was incredible. Um, great Cinder- acting. The the boxing scenes were terrible, but the the <laughs> that yeah. was one of the worst boxing scenes. But it's a true story, so you didn't you don't need you already know the legendary fights that happened. I so would definitely need say the to be great. I would say Cinderella Man is probably my favorite, just because it's very like deep writing. I I tear up every time I watch Ooh, it. I already told Ali. you about that. Oh, Ali, bleed, Ali bleed for this. Believe for this, you never I saw seen. Believe for this. Mm-mm. You you hate to watch it. That one is true story, and it's probably it's it's. Mm, I I want to put it above Fighter, 
it's hard because it's Mark Wahlberg and Christian Bale and they're great actors. They make it a great movie, but bleed for this as far as the emotional the emotional pull on the heartstrings, I think bleed for this, you're more connected with everything he goes through on his comeback and his rise to 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 boxing. And the competition he had to beat. He fights I didn't a true story. He he won a belt beating Roberto Duran. That's tough. It's Hands of Stone. I'm not a big fan of that movie. Did you watch Hands of Stone? Um, I actually didn't. I, I think I started it and I just was scrolling on my phone instead, which sucks because, I mean, I, I wanted to like it. Raging Bull was good. Or fighting. It's older. It's a classic. Fighting. Yeah, with De Niro. He was, um, he played uh, Jake LaMotta. Where do you think Creed 3 fits on this, on this list? Well, it's not even on the list, as you can see. <laughs> That's because it's brand new. Man, I don't let know. It get a I week think out. I, I think it's it was fine. I'm not here to spoil it to anyone really, but it was fine. I mean, there was a couple scenes where we were just kind of like, mm, I don't, yeah. I don't think they needed to really do that, or it seemed like they went a little above and beyond. I love Jonathan Majors. Michael B. Jordan is is legit. But I just wasn't feeling it. I wasn't really vibing. There was a couple least, things where it just seemed so fast paced. Like, how did we get from this to that? How was this not brought up? Did we just completely think, ignore that fact? So you and to your point that you just made, you and I both disagree with like the plot and setup of some of the summer. Again, we didn't like the flow of the movie, and I disagree with like the character the plot development on how there were so many subplots that they gave us that they, that were important subplots that they didn't really dive into or show us, give us enough context for us to be emotionally attached to certain scenes that were very big scenes in the movie or very big characters. Outside of that, I think Creed one, the original Creed and then Creed two followed the similar game plan and we just expected that and also if you're a boxing fan you've been excited about creed 3 coming out for years like for a couple years now since you found out he was filming right we've been excited so i don't he really didn't make this movie for the boxing fans he didn't it really wasn't for us which yeah, i think which that's is fine. what made it it's fine yeah he wanted to make it a actual it was more of a movie a movie that everyone could go see he didn't want it to just be he i think hit this being his his speaking of michael b jordan his being this being his directorial debut i think he wanted to kind of get outside of the box do something a little different um reach a new audience use his he's such a big star um, that he wants to try to reach a new audience with this film and kind of play on his popularity right now and get people to watch this movie that maybe in other cases wouldn't have. But he swung big. He, I think he swung for the fences. He took some chances. I don't know if it'll pay off for him. I wouldn't put it in my top five or top ten movies, though, which I was so excited for this movie to come out. So it was a little bit of a disappointment for me. Yeah, it's weird because even though it was like two hours long, it still seemed like things were just moving so fast with the plot. Yeah, yeah, it did. 
so much information came at you so fast. Yeah, and it was just like, hey, man, I want to be champ. I got this. Okay, well, you've been locked up for 18 years. Yeah, it just doesn't then, work like that. Yeah, it's just they didn't even do like a press conference to get the – like I feel like you could have done some fun stuff with that to get the hype going. Um, yeah, like there was stuff being said. Yeah, but well, all they did was first take where he announced he was coming back take, to fight, and that was just on first take. Stephen A. Smith makes the statement: he's been talking bad about you every chance he gets, and like talking about you're a coward and you're you leave you like they didn't show us anything. They haven't showed us anything. <laughs> yeah, like just you didn't show us him in a press conference saying these things. Right. So we have no context to that stuff like it just we didn't see it no they didn't really give us um again no context there's not enough character and plot build up right there i wanted to see that i don't want to let there's a big spoiler something that happens that i don't want to give away if someone's listening that hasn't watched it but the huge dramatic scene that happens in the movie and they didn't really go into detail or explain to us how serious that was. So the scene when he finally talks to his wife about everything that's going on with him. Yeah. The reason why they came together. I'm just going to leave it at that. Ch- goodness gracious. All right, man, we're playing. We just explain it. Playing just explain it I'll catch it. I'll catch it. The dramatic scene. Remember how he wasn't talking to Duke? How Duke stopped talking to him? After yeah. the fight, remember yeah. how, how? But Duke was at the event because he had to be there. <sighs> okay, I think I remember now. I remember now. Like they didn't really go into detail over that. It was a very emotional scene, but it just kind of happened out of nowhere. I don't know. It, I mean, maybe I'll like it if I rewatch it. Maybe I'll like it more. Sorry, I, I enjoyed it. I think I'll probably I'll rewatch it. Yeah, it's worth the rewatch just because, you know, it's one of the only boxing movies that's come out in a while. Honestly, the um, action so. the action was good. Like the the training, you had a couple notable people in there. Canelo Alvarez was in there. Um Terrence Bud Crawford was in there. The McQueen <coughs> was in there. Um uh, yeah, I know, but you know. Uh, it's the McQueen. Yeah. She is the McQueen. I give her props. I'm hating because I'm jealous. She's getting, she's doing her thing. She's blowing up uh, through social media with her at this gym and everything she's doing. And I give it to her. She's doing it in a very, a very male dominated sport. She seemed to find her niche and blow up in it. But my dislike for mitt combinations that aren't realistic and that you would use in fight my own. No, uh, it's more so for, I mean, it's more so hand-eye coordination, quick defensive moves. You know, I get the reaction. I get that, but you're right. It's like, I don't need to do a 37-punch combo that I'm not even going to land that on a bag. Like It works for it works for beginners. It, sorry, I was going to say it works for beginners. I was saying it the wrong way. When you're dealing with a high level, and I blame, this is the Floyd Mayweather effect. I don't blame Floyd, but it's the Floyd Mayweather effect of People watching him and his the late Roger, the late great Roger Mayweather, when they would run mitts and he would say his classic line of all time. Most people don't know shit about boxing. Yep, they would do mitts and do all this crazy stuff. But the, and and I remember when uh, Floyd fought Ricky Hatton, 
Ricky Hatton yep. was the first person to like start to make fun of Floyd for doing that. And he gets caught with a check hook and ends up hitting the turnbuckle and going to sleep. You the the IQ of Floyd was so high that that's you we weren't there yet. He was in the matrix. He was doing something completely different. We had no understanding of what he was doing yet. Now that it's become more common and everyone's doing it, you got a lot of people that are holding mitts and they got people doing this stuff, but they don't know how to fight yet. They don't know how to fight. They're trying to, they'll see a professional fighter doing this stuff. And this guy has 500 amateur fights. You know what I mean? He got three, 300 and some amateur fights. It's almost like, to explain myself a little better, it's almost like Lomachenko's footwork. Guys mm-hmm. try to recreate in the gym Lomachenko footwork, not understanding the concept that, like, this dude was in ballet and dance and all type of stuff before he even started boxing and perfected this phenomenal footwork. Then he got into boxing, started training as a child, and has, like, 300-plus amateur fights under his belt. <laughs> to work on this stuff and perfect these techniques. You can't just show up to your gym and you've only been boxing for a couple years and then you get a trainer that's got you doing all this super unorthodox footwork. Like you need to just keep it simple, keep it basic, and get really good at the basics because that's what's going to win fights and make you a better fighter. And we've even seen that in the real fight game when you look at guys like Earl Spence. One of the very basic, very simple, doesn't do anything crazy and extraordinary, keeps his hands up, doesn't do a whole lot of flipping and rolling on punches. He just uses his good footwork, good defense, and very consistent punch combinations and great stamina. He comes in shape, and he just breaks you down, breaks you down with the basics. Watching Earl Spence is like watching Tim Duncan play basketball. Uh, Errol's way more exciting, but yeah, I, I understand. For sure. I understand what you're but saying. Yeah, yeah. I big fundamental, just very yeah. fundamental in what he does, and you can't beat the fundamentals. Like, if you can perfect the basics, you can compete and win at the highest levels of combat sports if you're very good at the basic stuff. So that's the part where I'm like, you don't need 18 punch combinations on someone who we've never – if you're doing 18-punch combinations, all your slips and rolls and fancy stuff with a person that we've never heard of, don't know who this person is, like, unnecessary. You get Terrence Crawford, you get Canelo, you get some of these guys that have been doing this stuff for years and years and years at the highest level, for sure. They're capable to do that stuff because they can. they know when to use it, when not to, what to do with these tools you're giving them. But – a lot of these people don't, and then they go out there and then they fight, and it's you do not, you didn't do anything, you didn't admit nothing, and that's where it's like, make it make sense for me, or explain why you're doing it. Explain why. Break it down to me and explain why. I'm I'm a firm believer in that. We got too many trainers and not enough coaches anymore. The social media age has changed it. Where we got a lot of trainers who want to make videos and post content but not a lot of coaches that are actually teaching people how to fight and explaining the sweet science. Right. Because it's not difficult. It's the sweet science, not rocket science. So you just got to break it down and explain it to me and make it make sense so people know what to practice. Because we've been doing this now for years and years and years. 
some of the best footwork and head movement and slips and rolls. You can go back to back in the day and watch James Tony and watch. I watch a lot of the older guys when I I watch Larry Holmes. I watch him jab and stick and move his jab and move around the ring. I watch um, Tommy Hearns and Hagler and how he pops the jab and then comes back with the right hand and sets it up. Like I watch a lot of the older guys because you don't see a lot of this stuff in today's fight game. You but in the movie. See, no, yeah, you see people that don't stick to too many basics anymore. And the people <coughs> who do stick to the basics are the ones that are, like, Terrence Crawford is a very sticking to the basics, great technique. His footwork is very good, too, because he can fight in both stances. Um, I was confused on his role in the movie. What did, what, did, what was his purpose? He was a sparring partner for, um, for Creed. Okay. Yep. Different weight classes, but we're not going to get into that. Yeah, he was one of the sparring partners, and then the other dude who played Drago was his other one. So it was like, so, why are we, what are we doing here? What he's supposed to be here? fighting for the heavyweight title. And he's sparring he got... a, a 147. <laughs> yeah, he yeah, got Terrence like, Crawford in his sparring with him. Yeah. And that was, that was uh, Benavidez. I did look that up. Oh, it was? Course. Okay. Yeah, so, I get yes, that. that was Jose Benavidez, who also isn't a heavyweight, but it's cool. It had to be big by comparison because he's supposed to be a heavyweight in the movie. Yeah. Like Michael like a- Michael B. Jordan's supposed to be a heavyweight So for Creed. So if you have Deontay Wilder come in and play in the movie, it looks extremely unrealistic because he's so much bigger. Well, plus the thing is, is like, it's the same. Like Michael B. Jordan has that very top-heavy bulk. Yeah, you know what sure. I mean. So, like, he looks like the movie version of a heavyweight. Do you think Michael B. Jordan wins if he does a celebrity? If he does like a oh a celebrity those, fight, like, yeah, ex- yeah, celebrity exhibition, yeah. I mean, he actually who'd you put him up it. against? Uh, Jake Paul. Ooh, you think he beats Jake? I think he'd light Jake up. <laughs> I, I'm not a. I'm not a huge Jake Paul fan, but I I have to disagree with you on that one. Uh, Jake would probably win. Jake Jake devotes Jake more time to boxing, him. but uh, oh well. Put him in there with a who's another? Who's a guy who doesn't really box? Okay, boxing only. Do you think he beats Michael Jai uh, Michael Jai White? No, no. <laughs> Michael Jai White is is a killer uh, with his kicks. All right. I said just boxing though. They're not allowed oh, to just kick. Boxing. No kicks, no grappling, just strictly hands. What about Jake Gyllenhaal? That's what, yeah. That was gonna be my next one. They both have acted in movies and and did the boxing thing. I don't know. Jake Gyllenhaal always comes in in shape. He's so he's weird. trained for a while. Michael B. Jordan wins because he spent time around actual fighters. I there were actual that. fighters in his movie not just actors, and he spent actual time on set probably running mitts and doing drills. He said actual people hold mitts for him that know boxing. I think yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal had Forrest Whitaker hold mitts. Like, <laughs> like, like, it's, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's right. those levels. That's right. We'll see. I mean, that'd be, that'd be fun. Charity event. Hey, if they do it, I want a percentage. I want my idea. I want to be ringside. Yeah, they heard it here first, so we deserve to get at least a ringside seat. 
I'll corner one, you corner the other. I'll take Jake. I'm Team Jake. Black History Month just passed, but I'll still take Creed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Even though I'm not a fan of that last movie, I'll take it. I'll corner him on the condition he puts me in Creed 4. There you go. I'm sure they'll do a Creed 4. Yeah, I'm going to come back and train his daughter. Oh, Creed 4 has been confirmed. Wow. Look, already? No way. Uh, Sylvester Stallone's Rocky return in Creed 4 addressed. So Rocky's coming back because he was not mentioned at all. In, he in was not movie. mentioned at all. They never said his name. They didn't like biggest fight of your life. You're not even gonna call him. I, that'll be interesting to see what type of storyline they use to bring Rocky back in. I don't know how that's gonna work out, but I'm interested to see the creativity that they have in Hollywood. Yeah, I, I don't know how he's gonna figure that one out. What's he gonna do? Who's gonna be the fighter? If they do it, they should they should keep making it their own, honestly. But I like that they don't uh, do the whole. They're kind of, well, this one, I honestly thought this one was going to follow, what was it, Rocky 4 or 5, whichever Rocky had Tommy Gunn in it. That was 5. Yeah, I thought this one would kind of yeah, mimic right. that storyline, but it, it takes a different path. So I was kind of. Happy it took a better, a different path, but um, it had a lot of good, it had good promise. All right, man. Well, all right. Where can everybody find you? Where's your social media? Social media at the underscore real underscore D will, obviously. And if you want to get on the fitness level and you're interested in the boxing, you can follow me at KR Fitness underscore 24 that's where you'll see a lot of the information posted as far as uh fighting golden gloves upcoming matches and all that stuff if you want to follow and see how that's going and come out and support we'll be downtown at Tyndall armory um starting march 16th every thursday moving forward for like the next month and a half there we go i will be there as well everybody out there not a big deal i'll be there as well so not competing this year, but <laughs> soon he's coming, soon. man. Well, thanks, dude. I appreciate it. I know it's uh, I know I we got no a problem. little late, but uh, I appreciate it, man. It's all good. I'm all good. You coming to the gym tomorrow? That's that's gonna be a maybe. <laughs> <laughs>